Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving you around 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on topics of the moment. Uh, and uh, joining me, uh, Chris Bowne, the editor of Hotel Analyst, is Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Uh, we'll be chewing over the cud for you. And this week, we're going to sort of jiggle things around a bit. We're going to start uh, with uh, our kind of our five-star and no-star awards of the week. Um, and Andrew, you're going to dive into where we all find ourselves as uh, the UK government slightly loses its bottle on the roadmap. Yeah, indeed. And this is, of course, just for the if just for England, with the other three uh, nations having a slightly different but effectively the same sort of policies but in in england it, we were all due to have freedom day on the 21st of june this has been put back to at least the 19th of july uh this is a very worrying um development for a number of reasons i think that the, the the most important is the 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 sense of moving of goalposts where you know what we were originally locking down for which was to save the nhs um to save the health service uh it doesn't any longer seem to be the main reason for continuing restrictions there seems to be other things on the agenda including now they're talking about infection rates and so forth um fundamentally though i think it's still a case of if we can stop hospitalizations if we can stop um, serious increase in deaths we are sort of good to go with ending restrictions once and for all and i hope that when we get to the 19th of july um, it's going to be the case that in, in indeed we we it will turn out we should have actually unlocked on the 21st of june i hope that and there's just this mistake for the four-week delay um the worst case scenario is of course that we go into a, a third wave in which there are more deaths and hospitalizations which will only happen if vaccines don't work um which is then oh dear we are really in it as it were um i don't think that is a likely scenario however and i think this is a case of the government as you said chris bottling it um and not believing in the the effectiveness of its vaccines um, and it's kind of ironic given the uk of the major economies was the first out of the blocks and the best at implementing a good vaccine program to get to this point now and then turn around and say oh we're, we're a bit terrified mm. um yeah so you know i i mean it, to all intents and purposes i really don't see any other way out other than saying Look, we just need to get back um, to business as usual. Um, mm. um, even if we do see a, a, a rise in in deaths and hospitaliz hospitalizations, I think we've just got to get on with it because um, the, the, if we carry on in this situation, it, it's it's just as bad anyway. So um, please, so I think I hope, you know, however this plays out, and I, I, I think there is clear evidence that vaccines work. All the science shows us that vaccines work. Um, you know, I, I wrote a comment piece um, which went out to subscribers on Tuesday, which outlined the sort of risk factors here. And for people under 65, um, you are more at risk 
by traveling on the roads than you are of dying of covid and that's before you have a vaccine mm. once you've had a vaccine the risks are de minimis you haven't really got now it's the over 65 age group where it's risky and as you get older it gets significantly risky but once you've had a vaccine even for that age group it's it, it, again it, you, you're looking at regular flu type scenario probably even it's probably less risky than for for normal flu environments so we really ought to be in a position where we are properly unlocking now um and it, it's been desperately desperately depressing that we haven't uh, um done so this time around as a usual kate nichols ceo of uk hospitality has done a great job putting across the issue here the cost she the UK hospitality estimated is three billion pounds. Three hundred thousand jobs are at risk. Uh, we need to have this final lifting of restrictions. Um, otherwise, we are going to end up in that sort of really gloomy worst case scenario that you know I was painting back what a year ago, really, mm -hmm. when we were talking about nineteen thirty star depression. Yeah. depression mass unemployment and all of that stuff um we've now got a we've you know we're about to blow it unless we unless we're really careful so uh yeah so it, it's it's no stars for that decision but i think it's five stars for the optimism and the, and and the reality uh that we can come out of this still and that we can come out of it in that infamous v-shaped recovery here's hoping so absolutely and i think there'll be a mutiny if uh, if things aren't eased up when when the revised promise comes round. well i i, I mean I, I i'm finding increasingly people are simply ignoring the rules now more and more and these are people who are respectable you know law-abiding citizens normally but they're just saying like enough's enough well i'm just completely fed up with this and we've just got a people are holding dinner parties they're you know they're just having it hugging and having interactions which are all strictly banned mm. but you know it, it's it's too much you know we've had enough yeah. we've got to get on with normal life absolutely and talking of getting on let's talk now about uh, one of our topics for this week which is uh, the hotel management companies the third party operators who uh, look to be flexing their muscles getting ready to acquire consolidate and grow off the back of the pandemic um over over in america we've seen ambridge which is the largest uh, hotel management group in the world and of course they own interstate here in europe or they are linked with interstate here in europe uh, they've just bought uh, mexico's largest uh, third-party hotel operator um grupo hotelo prisma um that gives them another 42 properties uh, into their managed portfolio um, and it follows the change of um, leadership at the end of last year where the CEO of Ambridge, Dave Johnson, moved up to a new executive chairman role um, and bringing, bringing in another uh, uh, chief executive alongside him. So, And he's talking about transformational growth, M&A and new business opportunities. Um, so I spoke to uh, the, the, the Europe, his European lieutenant, Nick Northam, uh, head of interstate here in Europe, um, who's obviously keen to expand, but couldn't give me any inkling yet of, of things that might be in the offing, um, perhaps here in the UK or uh, across across Europe. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, interstate's got something coming before too long. I also had a good chat with um, with Valor Hospitality and with Brian McCarthy. Um, Brian's very much a believer that third-party operators should be clubbing together and as one demonstrating the uh, the absolute value 
of working with with a really well aligned um, management expert uh, to drive ever better value out of hotels he says you know if if landlords and third party operators can really align their interests and work well together then actually that's great for the sector as a whole because better returns mean more investors mean more value yeah i think ainbridge is very interesting company to look at because they are so much bigger than than the other third party operators they're sort of four or five times the size of the the next biggest Uh, that that's in the us we're still in europe you know we're very very early days in terms of the growth of the third party management company they've been with us for a number of years but in terms of the growth and the scale of them um it, it's you know we're, we're only just getting to that that growth piece um i think as with so much of covid it's not so much it's changed the world that speeded up the world and it's speeded up i think and will speed up this push into third party management i think one of the key drivers of this is going to be the fact that um there's enormous opportunity right now for the global majors to grow their their franchising business to pick up and um distressed inventory which is out there brand it you know as new owners new capital comes into those that distressed inventory Uh, part of that i think that push will see them retreat out of um, a number of their management um, contracts switch them into uh, uh, franchising and i think this is a big opportunity for the third party players to grow um, as the global majors do that because i think i think that the challenge with the global majors is actually you know by the the management opportunities they're just going to struggle to to furnish them right now so that they need other people to come in and and sort that out for them um so i i i i can see a chance here there's obviously the 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 opportunity as well as just just for the third party um operators to come in and um where there is a change of owner um an owner that wants to be more passive um, and wants a manager to come in and run it um on their behalf so i think there's 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 going to be a lot of um change here and i think this is the arguably the best um, opportunity third party uh, management companies are going to have in a generation to get some growth um, and 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 become significant sized operations. Ainbridge is what fifteen hundred hotels, sixty thousand employees. Um, it's mostly in the US. Um, so I think here in Europe, where Ainbridge is a big player, it's also up against the likes of RBH Bespoke, Germany's Events, and as you've already mentioned Valor. And there's a, there's a whole raft of uh, uh, smaller management companies with growth ambitions just below that as well so i think we're going to um below that in terms of size um so we're going to see uh some some real movement here over the next few years yes yeah, so of course the challenge for uh, anyone who's uh, uh, operating in the uk and wants to jump across the channel into mainland europe is that in mainland europe a lot of the operators uh, t- are obliged to take leases on the properties um and the, the the guys working in Britain don't really like that idea. No, um, uh, you do have people who are prepared to take on leases, though. Event of uh, clearly mm-hmm. in that market. I mean, that hasn't gone entirely uh, well for them in the last sort of twelve months. Um, but they are prepared to take on leases, and and they and I think you'll see the emergence of a number of of businesses that are going to fill that mm. void because there is clear demand there. 
um, for that you know in northern Europe um, outside of the UK whether it's Scandinavia or Germany it's a leased market it, and for institutional money it's a leased market so there has to that you know the way to unlock that and to sell a franchise is to have a third party operating company come in um and i think we're going to see quite a bit of that in in the uk too um whether or not the uh third party operators currently market leading are prepared to take it on or not um i think we are going to see some of that as this institutional money says look you know we're not happy with anything other than a, a lease agreement now we're going to talk about the pace of recovery and uh, there's plenty of people willing to uh, suggest that, that we'll get back to 2019 levels of business activity in the hotel sector or in other sectors by 2023. There are others who are saying, well, we're going to have a big push and we're going to get it back there by 2022. Um, this week we had a little bit of a kind of um, gentle negative news from the serviced office market where uh, IWG, the operator of Regis, uh, amongst other brands, uh, said that they were sensing things not coming back as quickly as they might have previously thought. Um, that was news to the market, which sent their shares down. But they, they predict things will come back. But they just think things are not moving as quickly as they, they thought they would um, to begin with. So just a little uh, note of caution in, in in their tone there. And of course, that's you know they're, they're in the office market. They certainly have been positive about the fact that uh, a lot of companies bigger corporates are signing deals with people like Regis because they want to uh, have a hybrid working setup have more flexibility around how their staff work when they come back to the office um, so I think it's, it's a case of uh, when rather than if uh, but certainly not great for the market as a whole to receive that news Mm, I think that's a blip. Um, it, it, I hope it's going to be as we started at the beginning of this podcast, you know, a, a, sh a month long blip, really, uh, but maybe in this case, two or three months of, of blip. But I, I think for the recovery of urban areas, for the recovery of the big cities, uh, we need to have offices open again, we need to have people in them. And there is still very mixed views out there on that. Um, on the whole, I think, uh, people are moving more and more towards a, a, a reopening but with some flexibility so coming back to the office we're not shutting the offices we're coming back to the office we're going to be there three four days a week maybe a day or two days a week you can work from home but you know some people are being tougher on that i mean if you look at the finance community as an example you have some banks um, like goldman sachs saying back to work yeah. now yes <laughs> the uh, game's please. over um <laughs> yeah um, um others hsbc are seeing it as an opportunity to reduce some space i suspect the people reducing the space is more about cutting back the business in generally rather than simply a, a, a you know some sort of major thing in terms of um, um cost saving on that on that basis so um so I think there's there's wider headcount reductions, etc., going on um, with those who are determined not to reopen as normal. Um, but I think more and more as businesses begin to reopening, and businesses that have decided, well, we can work more from home. Um, what will happen? I think people have to start coming in more. I think if you want to bring on juniors, people's in their twenty, people in their twenties and thirties, uh, they need the the more experienced team members in in the room with them as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to come back and have that a bit more flexibility. Um, and this, I think, overall, if we have that scenario where it's pretty much all offices back open. 
but with more flexibility that really and gives an opportunity for the hotel company because you, you're getting the return of business travel the return of urban centers but at the same time you're you're getting people who are perhaps coming in wanting this to use the suburbs more and there's an opportunity to create hospitality offers for those workers out in the suburbs um who who want somewhere to to do on a say a thursday or a friday or a monday or a tuesday whenever it is that they're going to be uh taking the time out um so I, I this 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 shift this change um i think looks like being largely positive from a demand perspective for hotels all right well let's focus in a little bit more on uh, hotels and uh, how the kind of market is looking um how investors should be looking at uh the future for hotels um and we kind of compared and contrasted a couple of issues uh this week had a word with uh, some of the agents about what's going on in the immediacy of the of the hotel market and then uh listen to a uh, webinar that jll ran which was much more about um blue sky thinking and looking further afield uh, further ahead and wondering what the big issues are that are kind of weigh in on uh investors minds and on hotel investment uh, over the next more than one year you know perhaps the next five to ten years um interesting how you know those longer term concerns may cause some fundamental shifts um say the blue sky thinkers particularly if you consider um how cities might change in the way they're 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 used and, and enjoyed in the future um but to say if you come back to the here and now um there are people making hay uh, particularly uh, domestic staycation markets and so on and uh, things are quite busy and in fact uh, anecdotally one um, active company in the agency community told me that um, if uh, they got another inquiry from a potential seller they'd probably have to turn them down because they haven't got enough capacity <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that, that, that just shows um, how much things are uh, coming back actually uh, that JLL uh, webinar and they had somebody from World Economic Forum talking about the future of cities and how um, it, it's going to be a difficult time for big cities I couldn't disagree more with her position on that actually I think it's going to be the absolute opposite of that i think if anything we're going to see um a push into big cities even faster um because the big cities are the way people are progress that's how they um, get the best jobs is how they um, get promotion um, and and it's where you go to meet new business contacts it's where you go to well to surely yes so tom um, peters so, wrote about synergy effects and kind of the you know critical mass effects and all these yeah, well, things you know absolutely absolutely and if that that network effect is only yeah. going to become more powerful and i think we're going to see big urban areas i mean i think what will happen is that um the definition of the urban area will sprawl outwards so i mean i'm sitting here talking in cambridge and it cambridge is increasingly feeling like you know 70 miles from the center of london but it's increasingly feeling like a suburb of london because there's the the mass of businesses around cambridge which are tech and their biotech um they don't raise their capital in Cambridge they nip down to London to, to have those meetings and raise that money um, and a lot of their senior management and teams are coming out of and around from London um, so I, I think we're going to see more of that going on so if you like we're just going to see these big sprawling areas um, where they, you've got centres of excellence in them um, 
So I, I, I do I did disagree with that. I, I, Keith Barr was also on there, CEO of IHG, um, and he was talking about, and you know, one of our great mantras has been that COVID speeds things up. It hasn't really led to much change. And I think he made a point about how there's a trend towards smaller rooms and more public space. Well, you wouldn't think that with COVID, would you? You would you'd think <laughs> COVID would well, actually yeah. do the opposite. You'd want bigger rooms and, and less public space. But, but actually, we're going to see more of the what was happening before, and that's being sped up. We're going to people are wanting that interaction that and what covid i think for me has done more than anything else is highlight just how important that human interaction piece is i've really missed not going out and having the same level of business meetings going to conferences and chatting with people finding out what's going on in the market you know zoom calls you know are a sort of replacement for some of that but they're not a satisfactory replacement you don't really get the insight the real insight you get from chatting to somebody face to face that you um via a zoom call I, I just don't think they're a direct they're a direct substitute for that so um you know i'm very confident about the future of cities i'm very confident about the future of face-to-face -face interaction and the hotel business as an enabler of that face-to-face -face interaction i think has a great future ahead absolutely of it. and on that note we'll say goodbye for now